With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Mr. J, it's me, your jester-looking bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your licensed hyena seller, uh, wizard uh, Jake. Um, uh, would you like more hyenas? I, yep, it's my job. I sell hyenas to people who want to own hyenas. Call the police. <laughs> I think that hyena just told me to call the police. That's fine. It happens sometimes. Oh, Listen. sorry. I'm still Harley Quinn. I think that hyena said, go to hell. And then I punch you with a big inflatable. Nope. I'm just in Gotham City and you need <laughs> hyenas for various <laughs> hilarious themed evil. And I'm here for you. That would actually be a fun. I mean, I guess that's a good sketch, but it could be a fun TV show <laughs> where you're just a dude who sells crazy bullshit <laughs> to the villains of Gotham City. Like you just kind of have everything. Listen, I'm not going to lie. This hyena has a urinary tract infection. It just diarrhea is all over the place. But if you'll take her off my hands, I'll throw in five emperor penguins. We have overstock on emperor penguins after a little. And you're telling me this will make me look 30% more crazy? Oh, hell yes. Listen. <laughs> Listen, have you ever been like, have you ever walked through uh, Greenpoint, Brooklyn and seen a tiny 90 pound woman walk a pit bull five times her size? Does a bear shit in the woods or am I in a domestic relation, violent? relationship with Mr. J. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about intimate partner violence here on <laughs> Wizard and the Bruiser. This is going to be so bizarre, Jake. Uh, this this episode, I'm I'm so happy we, we did this because Harley Quinn is such a fascinating character to me and the whole evolution of it and watching her become this incredibly popular cosplay thing for a second there. It was like one year it was all Deadpools, the next year it was all Harley Quinns. On top of that, the of course, the, it, it just gives us a great excuse to talk about Batman the Animated Series. On top of that, I really enjoyed the, uh, the new movie, Birds of Prey, and the emancipation of Harley Quinn, or as I believe it's called now, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, oh. <laughs> because some marketing people got pissed off at the bad uh, weekend sales, I guess, in the box office, but it also was a great excuse for me to ha have to, oh, so troubling when I have to do this, have to pick up a bunch of cool uh, Harley Quinn trades and start reading all the comic book representations of her 
and the whole thing is just so interesting and odd and such a mirror on society. It's this bizarre, I mentioned already, because you have to, you, you can't talk about Harley Quinn without talking about her relationship with the Joker and how sick it is. She's literally, I said this out loud to myself and I said it earlier to you, Jake. She I, I literally is like the poster child for gaslighting. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. Like she was like turned essentially by this uh by the joker and then is completely codependent on him and can't be without him and then you get to see her of course writers after a while say we want to release her from his clutches and let her just be harley and do her thing and getting to see that happen over and over again and then having her get crushed and go back to the joker her friendship with poison ivy is very fascinating to me that that awesome gaining some sort of solidarity with another woman and having being way more powerful with her than she ever was with the Joker. Also though, you have the movies that came out, the failed suicide squad with, for me at least, and I know for a lot of people where Margot Robbie was really the one shining light of suicide squad. And then to see her Will tur- Smith did some heavy lifting. All right, please. And then she turned it into something good with uh, birds of prey. I think even though it didn't do that great, I guess, sales-wise, which bums me out. I'm rambling a little bit, but I guess this is all to say that she's just a character that's constantly changing and evolving and, 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 and mm-hmm. the word is turmoil, and in turmoil, and coming back again over and over again, becoming super popular as a, and in, weirdly enough, becoming super popular as this sex icon, weirdly, even though this sex icon is actually really more of an icon of, of, like we said, domestic violence in a way, domestic abuse rather, especially emotional mental abuse and gaslighting and all these kinds of things. I know I've already said gaslighting too many times in this episode. We're only four minutes in. But I'm just, it's such a weird thing that people, Ted, we sexualize her and sexualize her, but she's really this like dark, broke, mentally broken person that uh, it feels like we, we've done her dirty in a lot of ways. And I love to see... Roby pull her out of that but also you look at Suicide Squad and you're just like could they have made the shorts shorter on on her could they have like done I mean I think that they just pushed it as far to the limit of sexualizing Harley Quinn as they possibly could and then Margo well, yeah, I I have thoughts about Harley Quinn's costumes over the years yeah have, it, me too it's a weird bra. Th- um, <laughs> one of the things the eye-opening thing about this uh, topic was that from a from a Passive observer from just a casual fan of the cartoon, the comics, and the movies. Just, you know, Harley Quinn's just kind of always been there. And it's uh, the kind of same comic book stuff that can happen to any major hero. Kind of happens. But doing the research, you can see where the lines are broken. Where the attempts to convert her and market her and twist her into something that can be put on a t-shirt at Hot Topic, that can become the number one Halloween costume of 2015. Right. The things that kind of shift this character from this kind of one-off kind of fun idea for a freelance TV writer Mm -hmm. to one of the last (laughs) non-Disney IP juggernauts of our era Mm -hmm. is crazy. And along the way, concrete decisions are made that kind of explode it. One of the things that blew my mind was that, you know, we have so many positive memories about Batman the Animated Series, but it wasn't until the Arkham games that she truly blew up. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I believe that. And also, but you look at the Batman I was playing last night, and she's in this, even though she's not portraying 
I don't think a super hypersexualness, but her looks, she's in this ridiculously uh, over, like sexy nurse Wait, costume. which which game did you play? In Arkham Asylum. Oh yeah, yeah, it's Arkham Asylum, it's the nurse thing. Yeah. We'll get it. You know, we'll get into we'll get in that. I have um, I have stuff on that. Okay, cool. But yeah, no, I'm just saying that it's also when she started being hypersexualized because you're right, before she was you know, Poison Ivy was Catwoman. Even in the animated series, they were the super sexy ones. Harley Quinn, not necessarily. She was more of a goofball. I would she say was in the more animated of a goofball, series, but the inherent horny energy of Bruce Timm's <laughs> female character designs will permeate anything that happens on any of those shows. <laughs> so, anyways, that and also, and we'll get we're we're about to get started here with the full history, but an anomaly too, in the sense that she started out on a cartoon show. And was put, and then went into the comics. She went, she went the opposite direction of so many things. Where usually you're adapted, but DC actually embraced her as a character in the canon. And that's when really interesting shit starts going down with her. And I've really been loving reading the comics. Is they're able to play around? I just think that, and I think this is my thesis for the beginning and the end. I do think there's a more interesting story, even though, to tell. Or there are more, not even a more interesting story, because I love the origin story, and I think Paul Dini did an amazing job with this property. But I do think there are more stories that would be very interesting to tell about her relationship with the Joker than the essentially the one-to-one, like the I... She starts off as the doctor, she gets tainted by him, and then she, you know, and then finally she breaks away, and then she becomes friends with Poison Ivy, but she always comes back. But there's something, I think there's something to say about relationships. There's more things to say about relationships with the Joker and Harley Quinn than even that through line. And I want, I hope that people keep writing her in interesting, different ways. I do like where they got to as well. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, I will say if you are true, if you really want to get into this shit, I picked up a book on Kindle. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's called The Ascendance of Harley Quinn. And it is full of really well thought out and interesting essays, real like liberal arts, academic thesis level shit uh-huh. about what the character of Harley Quinn represents. Yeah. You know, the cultural touchstones that she draws on, just the innate transient energy of her being the Deadpool, the Wolverine, just the flash in the pan, the hot character. Yeah. And how those kind of peaks and valleys end up just kind of getting kneaded out and folded into comic book lore mm-hmm. is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of very difficult topic. Much more, let me just say, much more nuanced and reasonable and adult takes on the issues with domestic abuse yes what we will very clumsily but hopefully sincerely (laughs) try and get into all right let's start it off with batman the animated series that's right it gives us a wonderful excuse to talk about it created by bruce tim paul dini and mitch bryan they wanted to take the quote otherworldly timelessness vibe and look from the burton films and take their spin on it which equated to a film noir style mixed in with a vintage color scheme Eric Radomski oversaw the art for the series and issued a standing order to the animation department that they use light colors on dark paper as opposed to the standard of dark colors on white paper, which gave the show its unique noir and art deco feel, which the producers refer to as dark deco. And I think Jake will agree with me when I say that really led to it having a uniqueness uh, in terms of the afternoon comic or cartoons that we were normally watching. 
it, it I felt like it treated its young audience with respect and that it understood that its young audience we like dark shit too you we can it doesn't all have to be bright and shiny and over the top like we, we I think everybody that was a fan of this show was majorly a fan of that tonal shift that it, it provided that it just it, it felt like it felt almost adult like it felt almost like like we were watching an adult show but uh beautifully animated and of course with all of the you know memorable cast and everything and one of the big standouts of the show of course had to be mark hamill as the joker who was actually a replacement of tim curry who had developed bronchitis shortly before recording was to take place and i'm sure we talked all about that during our joker episode one thing i will say though is that the voice of harley quinn arlene sorkin did talk about just marveling over his performance how he was the only one in the room that was on his feet the whole time everyone else was sitting how he just he was the character he was just on another level from all the other voice actors she's ever worked with it was just incredible what he he brought to, and I think you can credit some of her success with just how powerful he was as a foil for her. Oh, absolutely. So did you uh, end up watching Joker's Favor, her canonical first appearance in the show? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Paul Dini. Yeah, is born a- in New York City. He got an art scholarship at Stevenson School in Pebble Beach, California, before heading to Emerson College in Boston to get his BFA in creative writing. While at college, he did freelance animation scripts for Filmation. We've talked about him. You know and love him. We're talking He-Man, Dungeons & Dragons, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Jim, all of those he had worked on, and other studios, and even worked with George Lucas on animation projects, and he would later do a bunch of scripts for the acclaimed Clone Wars animation series, which I bet we'll end up doing an episode on at some point and in 1989 he gets hired at Warner Brothers animation Warner Bros animation to do Tiny Toon Adventures which led to Batman the animated series what about Paul Dini Jake so Paul Dini is brought <laughs> on as a freelance writer by Alan Burnett who is a very prolific writer producer who's worked on a bunch of things for Warner Brothers animation and he gets upon this idea of the Joker and the classic episode Joker's favor in which the Joker, after a road rage incident, corners an average, just workaday schlub named Charlie Collins. And he claims that Charlie has to, he will not kill Charlie, but he owes him a favor. Mm. This results in, uh, from Charlie's perspective, a nightmare of torturous, you know, kind of insecurity and terror about where is, when's the Joker going to come get him? He goes into witness protection and the Joker finds him. And part of this script culminates in a big scene in which the Joker traps Commissioner Gordon, who's getting a big birthday celebration at a fancy gentleman's club called, what is it, the Peregriners Society? Mm-hmm. It comes up a lot in Batman the Animated Series. It's just a very, just a place where fancy things happen. Right. Like the old Explorers Club or something. And the Joker emerges from a birthday cake to terrorize and try to kill Commissioner Gordon. At some point, talking to Bruce Tim, the idea comes up that, well, I mean, why would the, like, it's weird that the Joker would come out of a cake. That's, that's not, you know, a girl comes out of a cake. And so Paul Dini starts thinking like, okay, well, I already have some goons. The Joker has some goons for that 1960s Batman live action Adam West kind of appeal. You know, ever all those, all those villains had their own goon squad and that was very iconic. So why don't I throw in a girl goon? There should be a girl goon and she can come out of the cake. 
And that got his mind racing because like, oh, a female Joker goon. That's that you know that's really interesting. He said, "I like the idea of someone kind of fun and funny that he could have a back and forth with." I was thinking of the female henchwomen they had in the '60s Adam West series. Often the Joker or Penguin would have a mall, which essentially, by the way, I had to actually look this up. M O L L. It is a a gangster's gal, you know, like a fast talking kind of sna- you know snappy like. But with an edge kind of lady that, so it, that works with the henchman. Uh, and he said, so I thought, let's go back and give a nod to that. The gun mall stereotype, which is weirdly different than the femme fatale, is uh, born from the 1940s. Is kind of a, It's kind of marked by a delirious kind of resignation to the chaos she's trapped in. Mm. Kind of a, a black sense of humor. Uh, thinking of actresses like Betty Hutton or Gloria Graham. He mentions Ju- uh, Judy Holliday. Holliday was an actress, comedian, and singer known for her work on Broadway. And I looked up her stuff. And it is very similar to Harley. You can see it. it she's blonde. <laughs> she's got, she's just, sna- she doesn't take no shit. You know, she's, she'll, she'll pull the gun just like anybody else. And, you know, has a really quick, but also very personal, very vibrant. Someone you can't take your eyes off of. So, obviously, he's trying to think of a good kind of archetype to work with, and he thinks on his classmate from Emerson, an actress named Arlene Sorkin. Yes, Arlene Sorkin. He was essentially, and you can look this up online, by the way, because apparently while he was creating the character, he caught her on a show. She was on Days of Our Lives, the daytime soap opera, and there's this dream sequence where she's dressed as a jester, which both inspired the character and led to Sorkin voicing the role. And it is really funny, like, and that is the voice of Harley Quinn that we know and love from not only the Batman animated series, but also the video games and a bunch of other things. This really was a big break for her in the voice acting thing in general. She, she, you know, this really opened the doors for her. So, yeah, and she, Sorkin said, I would sing in the car on the way to work, Adelaide's Lament from Guys and Dolls. And when I got there, I was ready. Adelaide from Guys and Dolls is someone I always wanted to play. So it was very easy for me to find Harley's voice, but I made her even more extreme. I also auditioned multiple times for Little Shop of Horrors. And I'd seen Ellen Green's performance. I thought her performance was brilliant. So I wouldn't be surprised if when I did Harley, that some of her inflection came out. Because it also, it's that Northeastern accent. Oh, it's It is so associated with Brooklyn. gangsters. Yeah, yeah very Brooklyn. Oh, jeez, right? mister. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is, that is you know, and it's very much associated with the gangster life and everything as well. So all of that stuff 1940s, neo-noir. Mm-hmm, exactly. Tim, he designed Bruce Tim designed Harley Quinn's look he also started out in filmation working on similar shows to Dini doing layouts as well as for Ralph Bakshi Don Bluth and Deke uh, he worked on the real Ghostbusters he worked on a bunch of shows we've already covered <laughs> uh, before getting work with Warner Brothers on Tiny Toon Adventures Tim said going off of the name Harley Quinn as a play on the word Harlequin I did some brief research into Harlequin costumes I took the jester hat and the diamond patterns and the ruffled collar and the little balls and stuff the thing I immediately freaked out about was classic Harlequin costumes are really really baroque they have a lot of design on them I immediately keyed in on that diamond pattern i said i can't put thousands of diamonds on her because nobody is going to be able to animate that i just strategically placed them on her costume so 
He also took the red and black alternate coloring that you see in the classic Harley Quinn costume. Uh, that He took that from a 40s superhero named Daredevil. This is not the Daredevil you know of. This is a completely different Daredevil. And it, 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 it preceded the one we know. And he has the same divided one half red, one half black thing. So Paul Dini provided his own take on Harley Quinn as he was writing her. Okay, so she kind of looks like, what's her name from Ghostbusters? Yeah, she looks like Janine from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, She has, still has a two-tone thing with a diamond pattern, but it's just very goofy, very 60s. Yeah, it almost looks like a 60s uh, uh, flight attendant. It's a flight attendant meets the Pied Piper. It's not that great. That kind of dress and like the boots and stuff, yeah. Bruce Timm. As you said, makes her a little skimpier, a little more mm-hmm. lithe, a little more, uh, a little he, and jestery, yeah, well, jestery. way more jestery, like totally. That's the jester. What you're showing me. Right Not now. only that, the full uh, having the black segments on her costume went really well with the dark paper animation method they were going with. She looks great on the screen. So in the first episode, I or in Joker's favor, let me say that I looked for hints about the relationship, and she really is more of a background character. Oh, for sure. She does not call him Puddin. She does not, you know, make lovey eyes at him. He's always the boss or Mr. J when addressing the Joker. But it still adds to the Joker's cachet that this mysterious woman is at his side. In terms of the fan response, Dini said, initially it was split. There was some, oh, I hope she's not around too much. When you do an animated series and add characters who are not from the canon, you really have to win over the hardcore fans. Then there were some who thought she was cute and funny and wouldn't mind seeing her come back. But once we worked on her character a little bit, once we deepened and gave her that twisted attraction to the Joker, people were more interested. We showed she wasn't just going to be a cartoon sidekick. She had some emotional investment in the Joker, and that's what made her interesting. There's also some really great character things they do in that first appearance. At a certain point, Charlie is trying to escape and contact the police as he lands in Gotham. And then out of nowhere, a out of costume Harley Quinn shows up in a chauffeur's uniform and drag and make sure that he can't talk to the police. Mm. Bruce Tim loved that chauffeur design so much <laughs> that he basically made that design into Mercy, Lex Luthor's like Gal Friday uh, okay. in the Superman cartoon. We're man, we we had a lot we, we had a lot of fun uh, realizations this week. I feel like yeah, I just really enjoyed digging into this research this week. And there's a very throwaway line, but you know when she's finally captured by Batman, when all because I don't know spoiler, Batman wins. <laughs> she just very she just heavy handed just sighs like I knew I should have stayed in beauty school, <laughs> which speaks to just this very. This cavalier attitude about this very chaotic, don't I don't give a fuck attitude that she kind of has being a part of the Joker's game. Yeah, which makes makes her a lot of fun in that sense. But the amazing animation that Batman the Animated Series was known for, plus Bruce, Bruce Timm's really just solid design, plus Arlene Sorkin's incredible voice performance, it all just gelled and, and the interaction with the Mark Hamill's iconic Joker. Oh, he's so fucking scary in yeah. this. So it's incredible what this episode does to the Joker as a character. For sure. Tim said about the two getting together, within the scope of a children's cartoon, we were basically portraying an abusive relationship, which is really weird. You think, Tim? But all of this stuff was kind of played for fun and lightness, but there was this darker subtext to it, and I do think that that is a thing that drew people in. Shall we talk about this origin story? Okay, but we'll we'll definitely get into that, because... The way the Batman the Animated Series kind of jumped between networks and kind of did all this stuff, 
it was it's it's hard to keep track of the timeline but there was an initial 65 episode run before it became the adventures of batman and robin before it then jumped ship from fox to wb and became the new batman adventures where you know harley is just one of the great tragic figures in a in an animated series that is everyone from Mr. Freeze to the Penguin to even Batman himself, Man Bat, Clayface, fucking Clayface. Yeah. So many just tragic figures that leads, give so much depth. I swear to God, the only reason the Batman is always up and down is told, oh, he has the best villains. Like Superman wishes they had the Gotham rogues gallery. Right. Is because of how much fucking heart-wrenching tragedy they give these characters. Uh-huh, of course. And 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 if you notice too, we just talked about this and they just we just quoted them on this. You know, people really didn't give as big of a fuck about Harley Quinn until they added that depth. They added that fucked up relationship with the Joker and then all of a sudden we've got a, a someone we know, someone we've seen, you know? And I mean, who hasn't I I even I started thinking as I was doing this research, I started thinking about that relationship I was in in college and uh, just after college as well with someone who I tried to change for and how bad that went. <laughs> and and you see other people get into that relationship and you see couples where you have a case of one person trying to make the other person be different from who they really are and or vice versa or one person trying to be someone different just to stay with the person they love and how poorly that goes and this really is a completely a metaphor for that essentially i feel like and for also just making someone fucking crazy in a relationship it also does okay here's here's what i wanted to say harley is such a compelling character and such a likable fun character a, oh, wouldn't you know it, people like slender, blonde-haired, blue-eyed women. Right. Oh, uh, people like wacky senses of humor. Oh, people like underdogs. And the how Joker treats Harley makes the Joker a fucking heel uh -huh. in a way that was more relatable yeah. than anything that had betrayed him before. Because I'm, I'm going to say it right now. I have never had a family member die in a laughing gas attack in a haunted funhouse. Right. <laughs> That's just not a relatable thing. I mean, I'd like to see percentages on people who have had that happen to them. I'm sure there are, there are a couple out there. I, I read the news every day, and no police officer was down to the line of duty sniffing a uh, acid flower. Mm -hmm. The Joker's evil is very it's, larger it's, than life, yeah. but those interactions between him and Harley are so... Re not real, obviously. It's played. It's a children's cartoon. Gen feel genuine and feel. It actually humanizes the Joker in a weird way. It makes him more evil in a more human way. Because though. it's an evil we're familiar yeah, with. Yeah, it's, it's an, an evil e we know. Especially as you get older and you're in relationships, and you definitely go through those bad ones, mm -hmm. and you see what is a problem in a relationship and what is a healthy in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Then, then you really resonate. And I think that's why I was saying earlier, like, oh, I came to a lot of realizations this week doing this research because I didn't realize how much Harley me Harley Quinn the the character means to me now, mm -hmm. as opposed to back in, when I was watching Batman the Animated Series, I hadn't even kissed a woman, because I didn't do that till college, which is very embarrassing, but it's fine. It happens to a lot of people, and if you're listening right now and you haven't kissed a woman till college, or at all still yet, don't worry, you, you're, you're in good company. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. It's also, I know Frank Miller did a lot of stuff with this, and I know other comic. I'm painting a very wide brush, but the Joker as not just the clown prince of crime, but a psychodynamic mirror of the truly fucked up darkness in people that can hide behind a smiling face uh-huh. in our in human society was very much highlighted and canonized by Harley's relationship to the Joker. Yes, 100%. Well, let's talk about the origin Man, story. Man, this isn't going to be one of those episodes where we have like wacky characters like <laughs> Mr. Frogpants. Hi, it's me, Mr. Frogpants. Oh, thank God. You are very wacky and such a cool non-sequitur. It greatly saddens me to see a woman Shit. crushed <laughs> by the fist of a man who... Does not care about her Jacob. God damn it. Uh, I know I don't normally cry when I come on the show. Oh, come on, Mr. Frogpants. I know I normally make jokes, but... Mr. Frogpants. It's very upsetting to hear about... It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay? It's going to be okay. You're not like that. Oh, my God. He just hung himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I said, it's not going to be one of those episodes. (laughs) So let's talk about the origin story. Bruce, Tim, and Deanie... Uh, Paul Dini, right? Hit me up at Best Jake Young on Twitter with your Mr. Frog Pants commemor- uh, memorial fan yes, art. absolutely. Gone too soon. Uh, Bruce Dim and Paul Dini decide to put together an origin story for Quinn. This happens well into their working with the character. And they wanted to make her, quote, not be who she appeared to be. Dini said, we came up with the idea of people who are attracted to criminals, especially those who might write a criminal in jail saying, I understand you. I sympathize with what you're going through. And they just sort of pin all their hopes and dreams on somebody who they think is misunderstood, but who is in fact rather dangerous. The fact that Harley might have gone from this intelligent, cool therapist to this crazed clown woman was both very interesting and very tragic to us. We thought that had the makings of a great Batman villain, like Batman himself. His villains start off human, but then some tragedy happens and warps them into what they are today. And I think that is really smart. They start off with her as Dr. Harleen Francis Quinzel, MD. She was a psychiatry intern for Arkham Asylum, where she volunteered to analyze the Joker. But during their sessions, she fell in love with him and helped him escape from Arkham, which gets her in prison there. She manages to escape during an earthquake. That's right, an earthquake is how she gets out and she joins up with the Joker her sanity now gone wait which I, I lost the thread are you talking about Mad Love or are you talking about Harley or Harley Qu- Batman Harley I Quinn I guess right yeah I'm talking about Batman Harley Quinn okay. which would come later so yeah let's talk about Mad Love I'm sorry so Harley Quinn is immensely popular and DC wants to get her into the comic books because if there's one thing the comic book industry is known for it is hoping somehow that popular cross-media characters means that people will buy flippy floppy comic books, Mm -hmm. even though the art form has been on a gradual downhill slope because it's a very antiquated way to distribute visual storytelling. We'll not get into that. Anyway, uh, there is a, her technically 
Harley Quinn's first appearance is the Batman Adventures number 12 written by Kelly Puckett. And this is the one that can, you know, that costs $500 if you have a good graded preserved mint copy of it. But I don't think it counts because it's just it's just the tie in book. It's just it takes place within the cartoon universe. But Mad Love really is her first big outing, right? Uh, Mad Love is still within the cartoon universe. It's a yes. one shot. Uh, she's also appears in a bunch of Elseworlds comics, but Mad Love uh, wins an Eisner Award, and it is what uh, cements her origin story, which is, you know, she, yes, she was a gymnast, a college-trained gymnast, who then, there's a weird couple of panels where they just suggest that she, like, banged her professors to pass psychology school, which is, okay, good, good for you. I guess that's good character building. <laughs> And she cynically wants to write a tell-all book about psychopaths and serial killers at Arkham, only to be psychologically dominated. And there's so many pivotal panels, so many key panels that are that are really iconic, such as as Harley and the Joker go through different psychology sessions. At one point, she ends up on the couch and is talking about her life to the Joker. And this is heartbreaking, you know, towards the end of the book. The Joker escapes and he returns. Batman has him and he's all beaten up and bloodied and well, not bloody because, again, children's cartoon. And she is devastated. It, it cements that she cares about this person and he is hurting and she can't do anything about it. And that's what makes her snap. And that's what makes her put on the costume. And that's her that's her origin, which it then kind of, you know, is revealed that half the, all the sympathetic stuff that the Joker says to make her you know, feel empathy. He just made up on full cloth because he's uh-huh. a fucking sociopath. Yes, of course. And in a, in a way, established that thing that Heath Ledger kind of did where he just says whatever origin story he thinks will fu- like make people feel fucked up. Mm-hmm. Dini said, so Harley in her earlier incarnation really felt like she was the one for the Joker, that she could catch him and cure him and bring him back to humanity. But actually, in the process, he lo- she lost hers. Before she knew it, and haven't we all been there, Jake, where you're just trying to fix somebody, and then you end up going crazy? Before she knew it, said Dini, she had fallen head over heels in love with him. I think initially he was looking to play her and get what he could out of her, and then realized he had opened Pandora's box, and this woman in her madness could match him at just about anything he does. So, yes, this is fully captured, by the way. You can get the graphic novel, The Batman Adventures Mad Love. It came out in 1994, and it was written by Deanie and Tim. Uh, You already mentioned that it won the Eisner Award. It would get the animation treatment on a show with the same name in 1999. They would do a full... That was, yeah, after the new adventures. Yeah, the new adventures, right? It gets a little complicated again with that. Because, of course, you've got different takes on the origin. You have different animation series where they're... Yeah, it's very bizarre. So Dini said she made this tragic choice that defined the rest of her life, and we made it more like a cautionary story. Do not love so unwisely and do not charge into something. Do not try to change yourself for someone else. That leads to tragedy. And it really added a much stronger core to the character. And I have to say, rushing into something, falling too hard too quickly, trying to change somebody uh, that's broken, trying to fix somebody rather that's broken, trying to change for somebody these are like fundamental laws that I would teach in a class about relationships, you know, of what not to do, right? Mm-hmm. The, these are things that they capture in a comic book 
about a, a crime fighting bat, a guy in a bat costume, and a man dressed like a clown, <laughs> and his love interest. And it's really fascinating to see. And that, I think, is a lot of the bigger realizations I was referring to again when when reading all of this and being like, my God, I had no idea what, that I, while watching Batman the Animated Series, I was actually getting a weird master class in how uh, red flags and relationships in the years to come that I would completely not get. That would go right over my head and I would have to learn the hard way. But I love that this is in this children's cartoon. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that really draws me to this character in a way that I did not realize going into this week. That, you know, we, because again, my perspective's so weird on this character because I think she did, she, she was in my rotation because I was watching the show. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm watching, I, I didn't feel like I was watching the Harley Quinn show. She was just one of a cast of many mm. characters that I enjoyed on this TV show. Cut to. Why are all these people showing up in Harley Quinn costumes at these conventions all of a sudden? You know, essentially, like, I guess because she, she was in my video game again, one of my favorite video games of all time, one of the only video games I've 100%ed. We will talk about Arkham Asylum in just a little bit. We got to talk about her entry into the comic books first a little bit more. And then, yeah, and then just this blown up, crazy, over-sexualized thing at conventions. It is just such an odd time through line that you see here. I, I don't know. And I know we've repeated that sentiment a couple times, I feel like at this point, but it just kind of, blew, it's just so, because it just, I mean, she saying, wasn't, she is, she was shown in a negligee in the original children's cartoon. That is true. Dripping in vanilla pudding. So like, <laughs> she was sexualized. She was sexualized from the beginning a little bit, but yeah, so, but, to to see this evolution and I and I feel like it's saying something about our society and I'm dancing around it and I can't quite figure it out. I maybe I think it's just how now, I know what it is. What I'll, is it? We'll get to You'll it in get, the Arkham you're gonna thing. Sum it up for Jake, you're gonna give me the news at the end of this? I'll give you the news. Give me the news at the end of this. Flash to nineteen. 19- Don't let that frog man die in vain. <laughs> I will remember <laughs> you. I'm still alive. I'm just, I don't think you're a frog can hang himself. It's like he's still with us. <laughs> <laughs> so 1999 rolls around and Deanie finally sees an opening to get Harley into the official canonical DC universe. And the way they do it is through the No Man's Land event, which has the whole Gotham City status quo was shaken by a gigantic earthquake, which releases all kind of chaos and kind of has Batman dealing with not necessarily a supervillain, but a natural disaster and the breakdown in infrastructure and the breakdown of society that can happen with that. And that's what, when I mentioned before, it's a little bit of a twist on Mad Love that, yeah, that's how she's able to escape from They literally find... In this, in the one-off special called Batman colon Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, who has had some kind of arrangement with Batman to help clean up toxic debris, or, you know, she's doing some kind of good, quote-unquote, is rifling through a pile of, yeah, of rubble, and underneath is Harley Quinn, who had apparently been at Arkham this entire time, and she gets to tell her origin story, which is very similar to Mad Love. And she reunites with the Joker's gang. So, quick side note: I want to take us off that because I wanted to talk about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy's relationship because it starts actually on the animated show. Mm-hmm. Deanie also developed a notable relationship between the two when working on the show, and uh, essentially after 
after Joker kicks out Harley due to a botched job, this is on the animated show, she encounters Poison Ivy. They decide to join forces as the, quote, new queens of crime. <laughs> Deanie said, they met at a low point in Harley's relationship with Joker. It was a time when she needed a friend, and in comes this dominant female personality who doesn't suffer any abuse from anybody, much less a bullying man. She found something kind of innocent and sweet in Harley. Ivy needs a friend, too, occasionally. Her world can't just be plants. They care about each other a lot. They fight a lot, but they also like to hang out together and just get a pizza or watch a movie. It's interesting to me that they could be criminals and bank robbers, but also have this friendship. And I love the element of Poison Ivy, and I love their dynamic. It is so fun. You've got, they're both smart. They're both, you know, but Har Harley is like on another planet. She's way, she's air. Poison Ivy is earth. And, and it's a really fun fun duo to see and it also is this is us getting to see Harley just get out of the fucking Joker's shadow and really be in her own you know and I love that so yes the that, episode titled Harley and Ivy is very well done mm -hmm. a lot it's a very it's a very whiplash mix of fun gal pal like crime romps as well as some of the most on the nose Joker threatening grossness in the series. Uh-huh. It's it's very weird how much Paul Dini wants to write an empowering story about women, but also just has to do jabs at cliche feminism. Yeah. At one point, Batman is tied to a bunch of blenders and vacuum cleaners because these are the tools of female oppression. <laughs> like it's very odd. But then throughout, especially in the new Batman series, there's a bunch of Harley and Ivy moments. Uh -huh. It's all it's it, it really is that one episode actually set in motion a a huge fundamental element of Harley Quinn, which is her friendship with Poison Ivy and giving that that like ladies are badasses kind of vibe. At one point, I'm trying to find the exact date. I think it's in something like 2015 or 2013. DC, not even in a comic, but just very like, in a Twitter release, says something like uh, Harley and Poison Ivy are in a non-monogamous uh, relationship and they love each other very much. <laughs> oh, no. OK. It was uh, June 12th, 2015, <laughs> during a uh, Twitter Q&A that under the hashtag Harley Quinn chat, someone asked for confirmation of the relationship and a DC representative replied, quote, Yes, they are girlfriends without any jealousy or monogamy. <laughs> you will regret your words and deeds. <laughs> um, so, and this initial Harley Quinn redo of the origin story and her intro, intro to the DC Universe proper is still largely written by Paul Dini. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's great. And it's, by the way, I picked it up. It's great. I love this, this trade. And it has that iconic cover, and it was done by... Uh, Aaron Saud, I believe, did the cover, the one with uh, Harley leaning back and the menacing looking Joker's arms. No, no, that's, oh God, what's that face? Uh, it's Kingdom Come Guy. Hold on. I'm going to say it. Alex like I, Ross. That's Alex Ross. I know it was a guy whose name started with an A. I think maybe actually Aaron Saud was like just one of the internal artists. Yeah, one of the artists. But yeah, Alex Ross, um, I love this cover. This is so well done. Oh, it's, it's graced a thousand t-shirts and posters yeah since. it's really really a cool and it really does capture their fucking demented awful unhealthy relationship that they have together there's also a weird thing in that book that i keep forgetting but technically canonically poison ivy gives her a shot like a, an injection yes and she gets super but yeah she gets superpowers from it, it's just it just ups her acrobatic abilities. Yeah. It ups her physical strength, so it justifies her being a little bit more of a 
a viable supervillain to Batman, especially alone. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that they would do that, right? It, I think. It kind of it's it's a weird workaround over the fact that comic books are more realistic and uh-huh. in an animation you can have a character do some fun flips because right. you're you're familiar with cartoon physics, but having just a normal just woman do a triple somersault right. off a second story building. It, it's a little odd yeah. and, and and I think you need to put that in there to justify her being an actual any amount of a threat to Batman <laughs> without being the Joker's henchman, you know? And of course they'll push her Joker will push her into a vat of toxins in the re re re, re origin story later on and that's how she gets her powers that way. Of course. Uh, in 2000, she finally gets her own solo comic written by Carl Kessel uh, with yes. uh, initial art by Terry Dodson, who is a very classic cheesecake. Like, just no, I don't want to say cheesecake, but he draws beautiful women. He draws semi-realistically. Uh-huh. And I think this is where one of the weird issues about her character emerges. Number one, she's still a villain. She is still a villain. And at the end of Carl Kessel's run, she is physically in hell. <laughs> Yes. Carl Kessel does 26, I believe, of the Mm -hmm. 38 issues of the Harley Quinn Mm -hmm. comic. And then uh, A.J. Lieberman, I believe, takes over. And the final, like, 12 issues, it gets a lot darker. What were you going to say? Because in the end of both of those runs, she ends up in a literal realm where she has to reckon with her sins. One Mm. is actual hell, and the other is a prison of her own guilt. Mm -hmm. Another thing that kind of happens is... The Harley Quinn design, as drawn by Terry Dodson, is kind of weird in comic books. The full body spandex is not, uh-huh. it just doesn't, without Bruce Timm's kind of hyper simplification and cartoonish use of curves and, and, and lines, it's just a naked woman running around. <laughs> it's kind of intense when yeah. you watch, when you look at a bunch of these covers. So the character just doesn't quite resonate on her own as a just as a still villain kind of an irredeemable character who's kind of this transient barely anti-hero right so then they they pull her out of her own title in 2007 she appeared in some one-off issues of different runs most notably in birds of prey number 105 but in the opposing group the secret six and she quits the team three issues after that and I think largely they just didn't quite know what to do with her and they don't quite know what to do with her up until Eidos Interactive gets the rights from Warner Brothers. Wait, um, no, Paul Dini gets, in 2009, Paul Dini gets a hold of her again and adds her to Gotham City Sirens, mm. where she gets to interact with Catwoman and Poison Ivy as kind of a fun anti-hero triumvirate. And there they she does a better job. You know, she's, okay. because again, she is a loyal character. And so right. even if it's not the Joker, the fact that she'll do everything she can for her friends is very important. I believe this is also the same run where they establish that she is half Jewish. Well, you have her visiting her awful dysfunctional family for Christmas, giving some more insight into her upbringing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gotham City Sirens, number seven, published in 2010. It's part of the Harley Quinn's Greatest Hits compilation trade that I picked up. And when I saw that little menorah, I was super happy. Uh, So happy you tweeted about it. I tweeted about it. Uh, I also, there's also a really fucked up thing where we're introduced to her dad who is in jail. And when you know it, he's a grinning sociopath. (laughs) And she does do better. She does do better in the uh, Gotham City Sirens. But still, Jake, 
Not as not big a of a deal. Not character. back into the major lexicon. Everybody, a household name, if you will, until a little known video game publisher, Eidos Interactive, gets the rights from Warner Brothers in the spring of 2007 and then approaches Rocksteady to make a new Batman game. And these these guys are super not no, well-known at the time, but they had a very convincing prototype, and they get to work on Batman Arkham Asylum, and they bring in Paul Dini to write their new Batman game. And Paul Dini brings in Aaron Sorkin to voice, which I love. Arlene. Arlene Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> very different. That would have been an interesting <laughs> take of the character, though, I will say that. Joker, walk with me, talk with me. <laughs> How do we get the <laughs> fucking Republicans? It's like, I really like, I, I guess I like this game, but I, I just feel like we're just walking and talking the entire time. Like, what is the hit X to, to make a witty comeback? <laughs> uh, Hold so the Y button to deliver a scathing monologue that no reasonable person would ever just sit yeah. quietly and receive in an actual <laughs> argument. Absolutely. Dini gets to work and he decides, you know, after deciding the game would take place entirely in Arkham Asylum, Dini creates the story elements around the mechanic limit limitations and really wrote the story with the game development which makes so much sense to me because I feel like this game is such a tight video game experience I actually I think I mentioned this already but I played a, a, a chunk of it again last night and I just love that this is like totally my wheelhouse really good story really good action uh, different a good variety of gameplay mechanics and just constantly fun characters especially based on a franchise I already know and love so I'm already in I just love Arkham Asylum more than the other games. I think Arkham, because Arkham Asylum, it's this one enclosed space. It's got the Metroidvania thing really well done. It, there's not like too many uh, collectibles or things like that. I just think that everything, I just think everything about it is just right on the money. So here's uh, where things get interesting. Working for Rocksteady is an artist and character designer named Carlos Deanda. Mm. And his initial designs for Harley Quinn in Arkham Asylum, which is supposed to be a little bit grittier, a little bit more, uh, you know, hard knuckled, is Harley Quinn in a sexy nurse uniform. Yes, Harley Quinn. This is when we get the sexy nurse. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of fits. You know, she's a slinky femme fatale mm -hmm. and she's Harley Quinn. And, and, it's they're, a more and they're in an Arkham uh, Asylum. So right. great on theme. Perfect. But then as the designs get a little refined, all of a sudden now, well, maybe, you know, Let's sex her up a little. <laughs> let's give her a bustier. Let's give her some thigh highs. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. But that's a little too, that's not, it's not nursey enough. And then something interesting happens. They get rid of the jester folly. They yeah. get rid of the dingle dangles. And they just let the ponytails suggest it. Right. And this combination of getting Harley out of the goofy dingle dangles and putting her in a costume that, I'm going to say it, Though, yes, highly sexual. She's got exposed midriff. She's got fishnets. She's got mm -hmm. cleavage for days. It's still more doable. It is still more of a reasonable ask than a head-to-toe painted on, <laughs> like, full right. fupa on display. Right. Labias, majora, menorah. Oh, right. we know the parts of the woman. On Hanukkah, we light the labia menorah. <laughs> Harley Quinn is familiar. She's half Jewish. <laughs> Please, Jake, we have to stay on brand. This is our dark episode. Not only that, <laughs> so she's so she's attractive in a way that is actually, I, I, I'm just going to say it, approachable or at least relatable to a majority of people. I think you'd Everyone have a knows, shot with her, Jake. You know? No, 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 not, I don't mean that, just in a way that a, a person right, that I didn't know, grow yeah. up on comic books is right. like, 
Yeah, oh yeah, this makes sense to me. Uh-huh. It's still Paul Dini writing Arlene Sorkin, so you still have that really engaging performance and tone. Really good performance in this. Really, really good. Dini said, I put her into the Arkham games, and from that, she just became this incredible presence. The video games gave her this great second life. That's when the big changes in her appearances came about, when, she put, when we put her in the naughty nurse's outfit, and then the leather pants and, quote, street look. It showed she was more than just the cartoon gesture. And people reacted to that in a big way, too. That's just over the past 10 years. It's great to see the character have that adaptability. Mickey Mouse did not stay the little squeaky guy in Steamboat Willie. He went on to have many different versions. Harley seems to have this innate appeal that people love. And as time progresses, Harley will change, too. But there will always be something twisted and sweet about her personality. And this is another and this is one more thing that really kind of This is why this was the changing point for Harley Quinn is that despite all of our pleasant memories, despite the countless essays and exultations written about Batman, the animated series, the fact is it really didn't do that great in the ratings. I actually Mm. hunted down an old, uh, it had to be the Phoenix Sun Sentinel from 1992 that went to, uh, that talked about the, the best rated shows of the year. Batman, the animated series, which was airing on primetime as well as Saturday morning, was one of the least watched shows Mm. on television for Fox. Wow. So even though we think it's this universal... the people that loved it fucking loved it. They were... This is one of the greatest animated shows of all time. And holds up. I mean, people... I mean, you can watch that show now as an adult and and gain something from it and really appreciate it. But in terms of scale, millions and millions of people bought all of those Arkham games. You know... Mm -hmm. Four million on PS3, five million on Xbox. It was huge. Four million on PC. The sequels did even better, and that's when they did even more redesigns. Again, this is still Carlos right. Dianda. This is a very interesting one. That's what we get. Is is the mallet the first appearance of the mallet in? No, this no. Series? Harley has a mallet uh, okay. occasionally in the okay. cartoon. Okay. But this is so. This is Carlos. I'm showing Holden. This is Carlos's designs uh, <laughs> initially for Harley in Arkham City. She literally looks like she. Purchased lingerie for her boyfriend to have sex with him, to surprise him when he got home and then have yeah. sex with him in it. They kept the bustier, they kept the uh, ponytails, and a note from one of the producers is, hey, what if we did something like gave her skunk lines in her ponytails so that it kind of suggested, you know, the Harley Quinn colors? Yeah. And so they, Carlos did two versions, one right. with the skunk lines and one with the colors actually kind of as a paintbrush dipped into the ponytails. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time we get what is now canonically Harley Harley Quinn's uh, hair. That was another one of my big big realizations with Holden McNeely. That was another one of my big realizations (laughs) was how drastically her look has changed to what she is in the new Birds of Prey movie from where she came from and just... You don't even see you. I mean, I've seen a lot of everybody. Riddler, Joker, every, they all ha- go through look, change in looks, mm-hmm. but I don't think not nearly as drastic as Harley's change in looks. I think it's just really an extreme. It's like she barely, it, it just barely suggests her original costume. What what she wears now and what she looks. No, like it now. does. It suggests. Yeah, it, it just suggests it. But to the point where. The Arkham version and then the later comic versions are so much more iconic than her original ones. And I will I will say it, drawn in a realistic style, drawn page after page, she Harley Quinn in her classic up and down tights. It just it just I'm showing a, a full page splash drawn by Jim Lee in a Batman comic. Told 
Yeah. She, she looks naked. Yeah. She just looks weird looks and naked. naked. Yeah. And so nobody likes spandex person at the cosplay con. It's uh-huh. a, it gets sweaty. It gets weird. No human body is actually in the proportions. Even Instagram models, if you draw, if you put them in head to toe spandex, do not look like superheroes. But fucking every woman on earth, and I defy you to find someone. Send me all these weird pictures. All women, we're saying. Jake's saying right now. We're not saying it. Jake's saying it. All women. All women look good in hot pants and a bodice. <laughs> <laughs> just it's just anyone can know, pull it Jay. off. Anyone can pull it off. <laughs> I'd look hot in a bodice. <laughs> Give me a fucking, send me the rent fare and a bustier. I'll fucking wow some people. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Uh, okay, so that's the video game. Did you have any more on the games before we move on to the new 52? No, just that, yes, this was the turning point for Harley Quinn. Yes, we, we, we want to say it's the animated series. In our hearts, it's the it's animated super series. Not. That just brought her into the fold. That just brought her to the comic books, which brought her to the game, which made her the thing. I still remember on 14th Street, there was just a Harley Quinn full-size plastic statue just staring out the window for 10 years yeah, straight out sure. of the GameStop. Well, and think about it. Do, well, I guess there is a Catman, a Catwoman movie, but it didn't do very good, and I don't think it was really a sanction. But think about it. There's Poison Ivy been around way longer. Catwoman's been around way longer. You know what I mean? They're not getting their crack at like a their own movie. You know what I mean? But there's something. There's some magic about Harley Quinn, and definitely it has a lot to do with Margot Robbie being amazing and crushing it in that role. But there's some something about her that people want to see her. I think a little bit more than those other characters, those other female. Uh, villains. Well, you know, being it's part of it is uh, being in a relationship humanizes her more, makes her more appealing, uh, despite how fucked up it is. <laughs> and the Joker is one of the greatest villains of all yep. time, and it's a good game, mm-hmm. delighting in violence, delighting mm-hmm. in malice, pointing out the absurdity of society's rules. Man, right, right, totally. So, okay, let's talk about the new. 52. So DC looks and goes. Oh shit! That character we couldn't make work for ten fucking years. <laughs> All of a sudden, work is really fucking popular. Let's bring her back with a relaunch in 2011. They did a full revamp of Quinn's costume and appearance. She's now donning the sleeveless top, tight shorts, boots, half blue, half red, pigtailed hair from the games, and pale white skin. As she now has the origin of being kicked into a vat of acid by the Joker. This reboot is referred to as the New 52 since they launched 52 new series at once. Quinn is recruited to the Suicide Squad here. She is now quite a bit more violent and unhinged in this version. The New 52 was also uh, very key as part of the synergy with Warner Brothers to try and test new ideas for potential movies. Mm -hmm. 
2013, DC puts out a new Harley Quinn line of comics written by an actual woman. <laughs> I wrote that down. Written by an actual woman, Amanda Connor, alongside her husband, Jimmy Palmiotti. And you know what? I think there's a little bit of a connector here between uh, this series and what they would end up doing with Birds of Prey, the film. And I think that's mainly because they just finally got a woman to write this character. Now she's becoming this anti-hero, uh, post-Suicide Squad, working as a landlady at Coney Island. She's playing on a roller derby team in her spare time and has gone back to psych work. And a lot of the things I was reading about this series... I, just, I know just it's scream. not intentional, but they, in Arlene Sorkin's original appearance on Days of Our Lives where she played a jester, uh-huh. she was on roller skates. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. She is on roller skates in that. But, but I will say it just seems like... Uh, having this female writer, now she feels a lot more like a real woman, you know? And and, and those choices, like being on a roller derby team, I, I feel like that's something that uh, a female writer would, mm. would think to do, you know? And realize, like, how what what how women would like to see her portrayed in comics. I feel like that we're finally getting that with this run. She also forms a, quote, gang of Harleys, which is made up of a diverse array of strong female characters, as well as a gay man who goes by Harvey Quinn, which I love. (laughs) And I will say, Palmiotti and Connor uh, are... They're very fun. They're a very fun team. I believe they're a husband and wife. And yes. they, they've done a lot of good work with Power Girl. They love cheesecake. They love off-the-wall humor. They love a lot of meta humor. Uh-huh. So Harley is still a very much a cheesecake character. Sure. She kind of is the Deadpool of DC. This is where they really make her the dead. Connor and Palmiotti truly yeah. make her the Deadpool of DC. Well, two steps forward, one step back, Jake, because then we have a Suicide Squad film announced in 2009. Oh. I'm so, before we get into that, sure. I, we bowled over the fact that in the short-lived CWW, I think maybe it was WB at the time. I don't know. It was bad. Right. Uh, Birds of Prey. There was a character who was Dr. Harleen Quinzel, who was secretly the Joker's former associate, and she was the main bad guy. The, the show only lasted for... 13 episodes okay. and it was barely related to her character in the comics. But thank you for throwing that in there because I totally would have jumped over that. You were, I think she was so played much. by the girlfriend from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, if I remember. Oh, her. really? Yeah, Mia Sarah, is that it? Is that her name? You look it up while I talk about this fun, bad movie that came out. <laughs> um, so it was fun to learn a little bit about how this whole thing got fucked up. Suicide Squad is announced in 2009 with Dan Lin, who you might remember as being the producer of the Lego movie franchise, which is kind of amazing because we just talked about him. And uh, <laughs> Oh, what? God, it's worse than I imagined. Oh, who? It was Mia Sarah. Okay. And uh, this was her... This was her on TV in the early yeah. 2000s. If you have a chance to hunt down old episodes of it, it's on a bunch of streaming platforms for people. Because, you know, who wants, who wants the rights to that? It is the most early 2000s yeah, thing you will ever it. layer. The lighting eyes. and everything of those pictures. Uh, going back to Suicide Squad, Dan- David Ayer as, is signed on as director and writer. He did The Fast and the Furious, but it is way late in development. And they've already announced a release date because they're morons. So... He gets signed on in 2014, five years later, and he has literally has six weeks to write the screenplay. So that, if that's any indication as to why this, what, the, how this movie is going to do in the box whoa, whoa, office, you d- you can't say David Ayer is just a Fast and Furious guy. He did so many. F- <laughs> he did uh, Training Day. He mm-hmm. did Harsh Times and End of Watch. Uh-huh. This is he is. So, if you need people in L.A. being 
dirty cops <laughs> and talking about how fucked up shit is, man. I I have actually gone back and watched stuff like Harstein's and End of Watch just to watch like Christian Bale uh-huh. in the middle of the bar. He'll be like, yo, man, where can I get some fucking pistos, essay? <laughs> <laughs> so Margot Robbie is signed on to play Har- Harley Quinn when Ryan Gosling is initially set to play the Joker, but he drops out and then they give the part to Jared Leto. And we, I mean, we do we, if we have to recount the stories, he was like super method about it. He was super weird. One of the things that seemed really annoying is that he made it so that he would not have any rehearsals with Margot Robbie. And that's really not how she works. So that was very bizarre for her. Also, the crazy gifts that he sent the cast and all the dumb antics that he did during the shooting. Roby, of course, uh, born and raised in Australia on a farm. She studied theater in college. She got pretty steady, low-profile work in Australia in the late aughts before moving to L.A. and getting a role on the ABC drama series Pan Am, which did not last very long on TV, but her big breakthrough was in Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street, which Henry was in, (laughs) and he said she was really cool, and she was, like, so nice to him, and she was, like, just really, really sweet, and I love that he talked about her, how cool she was, because I like her a lot, and, of course, she played Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Jordan Belmont, Belfort. Either way, she played the main character's wife. And she's really good in it. So what happens here is the definition of development hell. Essentially, what ha- what goes down is Batman v Superman comes out. It's super dark. It's super hardcore. It's super edge. And people don't like it. And so... The that sends everybody in a tailspin over Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, this isn't funny enough. This isn't edgy enough. This isn't whatever enough. And there's it's, literally uh, what it is a is war Batman of- v Superman. I mean, it made money, but it's it's just mocked up and down. Yeah. Critical flop. Meanwhile, Guardians of the Galaxy does amazing. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy does Marvel's amazing. Marvel's just crushing Marvel's it. crushing yeah. it. Yeah, Marvel's doing everything that DC wishes they could be doing. They're trying to do the same cinematic universe thing. And so they go ham on Suicide Squad. In fact, there was like a war of just edits. Like different people had different edits of the movie that they were trying to make be the final cut of the film. And and uh, the tra- yeah. Do you have the trailer house? If I under- I didn't actually get into this drama, but it's... I, it's- we couldn't go too far, because this is an episode about Harley Quinn. We could always go talk about the yada, DC yada, yada. cinematic universe and do a whole episode on that, but... They, was- hired, a tra- they hired a trailer company, a trailer uh-huh. editing company, uh-huh. and they managed to take the footage and make it into what looked like a Gardens of the Galaxy fun <laughs> romp of you know charming ne'er-do-wells. Mm-hmm. Even though if you watch the movie, they are not charming. They just kind of tell each other to suck each other's dick and shoot people in the head. <laughs> but people love that trailer. The uh-huh. internet explodes because that trailer, they're like, oh, maybe DC is learning from its mistakes from and Batman totally v Superman. it totally just misrepresents what the movie actually was going to be. Out of panic, Warner Brothers gives the final cut of the movie to the trailer company <laughs> and they do a massive reshoots yeah, to try millions and, of dollars of reshoots to millions. try and force the 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 movie into this this container that it was not meant to fit in right i love it it's just like when they took take like the shining and make it look like it's a sweet yeah. comedy family comedy mm-hmm. yeah it's that's 
a trailer company. That's like what they do. That's like what, what that's their bread and butter, but doesn't necessarily a good movie make, you know what I mean? So, and Roby, she really enjoys the character of Harley Quinn. And I loved her in suicide squad. I just thought she was such a standout, but she has issues with this Joker relationship. Roby said, I guess what's always surprised me is that a relationship with Joker always did confuse me the most. That was the thing that took me the longest to get my head around. And she had to do tons of extra research on codependency, on just to get her into the space where she feels like she understands how this character would be so dependent on this guy because she's such a strong, funny, fascinating female character that feels independent. So why is she so dependent on this character? And and I think after the movie, she's just like, I don't I want to see her not in this situation. I want to see her strike out on her own. But also, I want to see her surrounded by like really strong other f- female characters like, getting along, not fighting, having a good time with them, you know? So, Roby pitches a Harley Quinn vehicle to Warner Brothers a year before Suicide Squad comes out. She then meets with British screenwriter Christina Hodson. She's did actually really great work on the Bumblebee movie. Mm-hmm. She's the screenwriter for that, and that is one of the only Transformer films I've ever heard of being like, Oh, this is actually good, you know. So she can take a franchise situation and and makes make spend some gold out of it. Uh, so they meet for brunch and they get pretty drunk. They both talk about how drunk they got on mimosas and whatnot, and they end up just bonding, just really connecting as friends, really connecting in terms of their taste, their sense of humor, but also really connecting on their brainstorm over the, what this Harley Quinn movie could be. And- it also helps that during this time, Margot Robbie's star power. Yes. Exponentially grows. Yes. And just from the trailer, again, just from the idea of Harley Quinn as this charming ne'er-do-well, kick-ass, sexy, you know, girlfriend from hell, you know, that iconic, the, the hot pants, the fishnets, right. the tattered t-shirt, the makeup, the, you know, the do the blue and red makeup, it takes over the cultural consciousness. Yes. Cosplayers, Halloween costumes, t-shirts, you know, it's before the movie even comes out, just the idea yeah, just of, the, the of Harley enough. Quinn becomes iconic. Yeah. Again, cementing this character in the popular consciousness. Hodson said she really, she being Roby, really wanted to see Harley with girlfriends. Harley in a girl gang. Harley is such a naturally sociable character. And I think there was just a general longing to see girls together on screen, women being friends. And I agree with that. So Suicide comes, Squad comes out to terrible reviews. But there's general praise for Roby's turn as Harley. And I do even remember that when it came out. And people were just like, well, she's like the only really the only good thing about the movie. But the movie is really bad. So in a search for their director, they wanted a woman for the job. Roby, by the way, said, and I'm glad that she said this. She's like, if it ended up being a man, that would have been fine. We were kind of hoping for a, for a female director. But whoever was best for the job is who we were going to hire for the job. But they do end up landing on Kathy Yan, a Chinese-American director whose only credit was an indie film called Dead Pigs. But they she totally sold them in a discussion about her vision for the project. Just everything. The look the feel, just everything. And they wanted to make the film, quote, less male gazy, as Robbie put, Roby put it. And you definitely see that. I mean, she even, the shorts are longer. Everything about the costume just feels less like a guy ogling at an ass, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, And you look, I, I just was looking at a few clips from Suicide Squad, and just the movement of the camera, man, it is just ridiculous. Like, oh. it's just all over her butt. It's all over. It's in, in an eye-rolly way, I feel like. Whereas if you watch Brutes of Prey, 
she, she it's Margot Robbie. She's beautiful. She's <laughs> and she's in. She's not in like sweat fucking pants. You know what I mean? She's in sexy clothing, but she doesn't feel as se- nearly as sexualized. It's the. I I hate to throw around terms like I do. I love to throw around terms like this. <laughs> but the power of the male gaze, like you know, you can say it's this ephemeral thing, but the difference between Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad, it's so it's clear. astounding. Yeah, it's just really clear. And a lot of shout outs, by the way, to Aaron Banash, I believe is her name or Banak. Uh she was the costume designer. She and this makes a lot of sense if you look at the color palette and everything. She did drive. And of course, Drive also has uh, the iconic jacket and everything. She 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 knows her shit. She's really good at her job. And she made the short, yeah, like I said, made made alterations to not focus so much on the sexy Harley archetype. They do such a good job. I remember we talk about it. Uh, we reviewed the movie on our Patreon feed. That's Patreon.com/slash/Wizbrew. Bonus episodes every week. It's fun. It's great. Get on board. We talked about how I was watching the movie with my fiance, and they're in the prison, and the sprinkler system goes off, and. I hear an audible sigh from my fiance, like, oh, I was having fun, and they're gonna have a wet t shirt, like, sexy moment. And no, it's just her beating the shit out of prisoners <laughs> in one of the bad most ass, brutal dude. fight sequences I in the lo- whole movie. I loved all of the fight sequences. And you can hear more of our discussion in depth if you go on our Patreon, $5 a month, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, and we get more into We talk about it for like a half an hour. We don't have to get too crazy here. But essentially, our consensus was it's a bit sloppy. But the third act of the movie is, like, fucking amazing. And it was a lot of fun to watch. A really great date night movie. I, I really enjoyed it. And I want to see more movies like it. I just, I, I dig that type of superhero film, you know? So I hope that they do get to make another one. But I don't know if they will because it had a rough start at the box office. And it went on to have a worldwide gross of $174.8 million. And that sounds really good. But I think they needed to make more to actually even just break even. Uh, it's It was cheaper than, say, a Marvel movie uh-huh. or a Snyder. You know, it was a quarter, a quarter of the sure, price though, of... If it was- of- you know, something like Justice League. I'm not sure if it was successful enough to get another one of those, but I do know that Roby will play Quinn again in the soft reboot of Suicide Squad, set to arrive in 2021 and directed by James Gunn. So they finally ended up back at trying to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully it will. I, I, I have faith it could be awesome if they handle it right. Uh, one thing I want to point out, I ended up uh, in a weird twist of fate. I... Oh, no, it's not a weird twist of fate. In a very predictable series of fate, I like I whether I asked my dad for his DC Universe password so I could watch the Harley Quinn animated series that came out in 2019, and it is incredibly funny. It nice. is genuinely great. It was developed by uh, Justin Halpern, who is a TV writer who got his start actually doing the shit my dad says Twitter <laughs> feed, which is a weird uh, thing to do. But it has an amazing writing staff, uh, people like uh, Jess Dweck, Adam Stein, uh, and has an amazing voice cast with Kelly Cuoco as Harley Quinn. Awesome. Uh, Diedrich Bader as Batman, as reprising from Batman Brave and the Bold. Ron Funches, Tony Hale, Alan Tudyk as the Joker. I was floored by how funny and good. It's, it has a lot of like edgelord humor, but then very quickly... It goes from like, okay, I get it. You can say fuck in a cartoon for like, oh shit, that was fucking funny. There's tons of really great gags and I'm kind of amazed at how they thread the needle between approachable kind of modern age internet humor and classic superhero escapades. Hell yeah. It really has fun with DC continuity. It has, uh, it is, it is woke without being like eye roll like, oh, I get it. You're woke. They do a really good job. And if you have access to DCU or 
can has a parent that has access to DCU, it is super worth your time. And I genuinely love it. I, I couldn't get through the whole thing, but I like now I'm going to finish it. Hell yeah. One last thing is you mentioned Margot Robbie mm-hmm. had issues with the origin story. And this is one of the greatest tensions within Harley Quinn's canon, which is... Are you about to give me the news, Jack Young? I don't know if I'm going to give you the news. I'm just going on a little spiel. I want the news. I want the news. I, I screamed for it at the beginning of the episode, so I'm just doing a callback. Give oh, me the news, Jake. The, I mean, the original news was that anyone looks good in a bustier. That's why <laughs> Arkham Asylum That's was a way news. better sexy costume. No wonder the frog went to the <laughs> to the in-betweens or whatever the cat's world is. If you or someone you know is having thoughts about being a Mr. Frog Pants, <laughs> it's not, don't be ashamed to ask for help. There are resources available to you. We care about you, and we want you here. Yes. Harley's origin, yes. whether she is manipulated or forced to become the Joker's assist, uh, Joker's associate and lover, or if she chooses it on her own, speaks to an incredible tension that you just, comic books really aren't that, especially superhero comics, just aren't well-equipped yeah. to talk about. Uh, throughout her comics continuity, throughout her movie continuity, throughout her, even in the animated series, they really have trouble deciding, did Joker throw her into a vat of chemicals and thus turn her into crazy psycho Harley Quinn, or was she a woman destroyed by love in a codependent relationship? Mm. Because neither is heroic. You know, uh, it's incredibly hard for victims of uh, partner abuse to get help because society doesn't really know how to deal with it. Are you a victim or can you leave at any, or are you just not taking action? Oh, why did you stay with him? Oh, why are you still with him? Why don't you stand up to him? These are questions that someone that suffers from this really doesn't have a good answer to. And to have a superhero, literally an avatar of empowerment, still suffer for this, it's you, it, it, that tension doesn't quite work as well as people want it to. Mm. For a lot of people, it could actually be relatable. It could actually be like, no, I, you know, I, I see a lot of myself in this person and I find it very cool that this character can deal with these things. But by the nature of her origin, you know, it's a it's an abusive relationship is as key to Harley Quinn's story yep. as a radioactive spider and Uncle Ben is to Spider-Man. So no matter how independent and how strong and how over it they make her, it always ends up coming back to that. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible to tell a story where you hit a wall and you're just like, well, time to have her feel fucked up about the Joker again because right. that's compelling drama. And so it's. For for people who have very serious thoughts about this, it's it's um, I hold on. It's in the essay book that I picked up. It was a very good essay. It's called um, "That Just Proves He Wants Me Back." And one of the conclusions is is that if the narrative can't offer a concrete solution to abuse, which you can never do in the pages of a comic book, uh, you kind of have to just work with our fucked up already understanding of abuse to kind of make sense of it. And thus it all kind of falls apart because it's just, it's more difficult than just simply being like, I'm over you, Mr. J and mm-hmm. I'm my own woman. And I have a talking beaver and a funny mallet. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's just a very treacherous, not t- tre- it's a very dangerous thing to kind of incorporate into what is on wallet chains at the hot top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's 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 worth having an open mind and understanding that you know this is a real thing and 
and even though it makes compelling drama, it also makes it tough for people that have dealt with this in their lives. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wanna I wanna say pick up uh, the Ascendants of Harley Quinn and especially look up uh, that essay that just proves he wants me back by Kay Scarlett Harrington and Jennifer A. Guthrie. Hell they yeah. really get into this. And it's just it it opens your eyes a little bit to kind of the stuff that we've talked about in this episode. For sure. Well, there you go. That is the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. And if you'd like to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got weekly episodes for just $5 a month. So check us out there. If you want to check me out more, check my Twitch stream out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I do Monday, Tuesday, and Friday night streams. Jake? You can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung and hear all of my thoughts and fears. Hell yeah. All right, everybody. Have a good one. And always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. Oh, mama. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.